0: Plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
1: One of the things that we can be guilty of is seeing things online that don't suit our circumstances and getting caught up in this thing and going down this rabbit hole and doing all this different investing because that's the way that we perceive that it needs to be done. While I love discussions online and particularly like all this stuff that we do on the podcast, it's so important to make sure your strategy lines up with you and your goals. And often we can see other things being played out. Online on Reddit, in the Facebook group, other questions on this podcast. And we get this FOMO. And I think sometimes we see things being done one way and we think, oh, we've got to do it that way. And one of the questions today on the podcast, it's a great discussion. It really is. It's around trusts and doing things with siblings. And if you do want to ever send an audio question in, make sure you record it on your phone, send it to podcast at sortyourmoneyout.com it will probably guaranteed be played because we don't get that many audio questions. A lot of our listeners, you guys are busy and don't have time for it, which is awesome. But, you know, we can sometimes overcook things and think that we need to overcook things because we're just so inundated with different strategies and whatnot. And that's why it's just so important to glean and learn and understand but not feel that we have to do things because others are doing it. I get the same thing. Like... I was looking at this thing online the other day with um, some real estate investment trust ETFs and you know I'm going down rabbit holes and I'm thinking, oh, I need to buy all these ETFs and all that. But I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on. I've got my strategy. I need to do my strategy and not get caught up in the other strategies of other people. The good thing is, the winning thing is that you are dialed in. You are engaged with your money and you are here listening to my Millennial Money today to entertain you and to give you some information. And every episode, we want to at least try and do two of our three main things, give you some value, give you some practical tips, and three, have some fun. I'm Glenn James. You're listening to My Millennial Money. John Pigeon, my millennial property host and uh, all-around good guy in these corners, Welcome back to the Tuesday show. Pleasure to be here, Glenn. It's been a while, hasn't it? This is the first time I've actually spoken to you since I've got back from America. (laughs) Correct. Yeah, well, you're a busy man. Just hit the ground running, no doubt. I'm not busy. That's the thing. People think I'm busy. My accountant called the other day and she's like, oh, you're busy? I know. I'm like, nah, not really. (laughs) But how's this? like, I often think, and I did this on our Instagram reel the other day how many times have you said, I can't do this because I'm time poor or people say they're time poor, right? Mm. Where I hypothesized that we actually, most of us aren't the prime minister or the president of USA. Like, you know, in the main, most of us actually have a lot of time. Yeah. So I kind of was thinking when I say no to things, I can make time for things I want, but usually when I say no to things, you might sprinkle the excuse, I don't have time. But at the end of the day, you're not interested or you don't have the emotional capacity to buy into that at this time.
2: Yeah. It's a common term used when you're a parent. Right. I don't have time for that. So, I I don't think it should be used. You can rephrase it another way. Mm. Like, do I don't you, know how we got to this, but do you uh, have emotion? Yeah. Well, you
1: were saying you're a busy guy. I'm like, well, no, I'm actually not. But I, I think, yeah, it, it's more a rephrasing of I don't have capacity for that right now.
2: Yeah, well, this doesn't interest me, mm. so I'm not doing it, sort of thing. Or I, I put my priorities
1: on something else that's greater at the moment.
2: Yeah, it's coming back to living the life that you want to live, Glenn. That's right,
1: and I, I, I guess I, I know I'm not. um married and I don't have a litter that I have to look after. (laughs) But I I still do know a lot of parents that say they're busy, but they've got heaps of time for the stuff they want to do. Yeah. Yeah.
2: People can make themselves look busy quite easily. Mm. Uh, But yeah, there's 168
1: hours in the week for everyone. Yeah. Choose them wisely. Mm. So this episode, it's going up on Tuesday the 25th. Of October, which is in the morning, it goes out. If you're listening to this when it's hot off the press, tonight the Albanese government are handing down a fresh budget. Now, tomorrow, which will be Wednesday the 26th, John and Vince Scully from Life Sherpa will be doing a budget recap uh, first thing in the morning and they will be um, sending that to Nathan and Rachel to edit to have it up in the afternoon before your commute home. I will be in hospital on Wednesday the 26th, so I can't do that. I'm doing a photography session um, that requires some special drinks the night before, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, I'm getting some <laughs> internal photography routine every few years for me because I've had um, polyps removed in the past. Yep. So, that's why I will not be on the budget update, which will be dropping tomorrow if you listen to this live.
2: Looking forward to it.
1: So, within all that, in the last couple of weeks, we've heard stuff around these stage three tax cuts. And I kind of want to discuss it, set the scene, uh, make some commentary, knowing that by the time some of you listen to this, the budget may have changed this. Um, But do you want to read that summary, John, that I've sent you, uh, stage one, stage two and stage three? And I just got this off the Guardian website. Uh, Mm. So do you want to read that and set the scene for what they were and what they are?
2: Okay. So stage three tax cuts, what was the Morrison's government's tax plan? The 2019 tax plan had three phases. Stage 1 was a low and middle income tax offset or LMITO in brackets worth up to 1080 a year to taxpayers earning between 30,000 and 126,000. Stage 2, which was brought forward from 2022 to 2020 when the LMITO was extended for another 2 years, raised the 32.5% marginal tax bracket from 37,000 to 90,000 to 45,000 to 120,000 and the threshold for when the 37% tax rate kicked in was raised from 90k to 120k so the existing low income tax offset was also increased to include anyone earning less than $45,000 per year. Stage three abolishes the 37% marginal tax bracket completely and lowers the 32.5% marginal tax rate to 30%. It also raises the threshold for the 45% marginal tax rate, meaning everyone earning between 40, 45000 and 200000 will pay the same
1: 30% tax rate. So basically, the majority of workers in Australia would be on a 30% tax rate. Yeah, um, which is what the current company tax rate is. Yes, for companies, what is it, over 50 million in revenue?
3: Something yeah. like
1: that. So I'll just keep reading here because this is good stuff and there's no point us recapping it when The Guardian have done a good job. Why were these changes introduced? It was a different world pre-pandemic and pre-Ukraine war and before the energy supply chain and inflation presses that we are now feeling now. The coalition was looking at achieving its long-awaited back-in-the-black budget and wanted to stimulate the economy through tax cuts. So, that's just remember that one, to stimulate the economy through tax cuts. It also wanted to uh, address the bracket creeps, uh, something that the coalition had been railing against since 2015. Bracket creep is when pay rises lead to people paying a bigger fraction of their income tax as taxpayers creep up in the brackets outlined over time the tax brackets are not automatically adjusted for inflation. So when an individual pay goes up, their average tax rate increases because more of their pay is in the highest tax bracket. And occasionally some of their income moves up into the next tax bracket at a higher tax rate. In an economy in which average incomes are usually increasing and tax brackets are fixed, bracket creep is inevitable. So isn't stage three a good thing? there have been many, many arguments for addressing the number of tax brackets in Australia's personal income tax system, including increasing and lowering the thresholds for each bracket. But the tax brackets still aren't fixed. The stage three tax cuts only really fix bracket creep for top income earners, who will see their marginal tax rates fall from present levels. For people earning less than $120,000, which is about 90% of Australian taxpayers, bracket creep will still be an issue and I'll just finish on this part. A parliamentary budget office analysis found that some earning 49,000 will see their average tax rate increase by 5.9% over the next decade, while the stage 3 tax cuts will only lower their marginal tax by 0.9%. Someone earning over 120,000 will see their bracket creep cancelled out by the tax cuts, and then I'll just say no government since the Fraser government in the 1970s has seriously contemplated indexing tax brackets to inflation, despite the nominal boost to pay packets uh, this would provide. Why? Because bracket creep can help governments repair the budget without having to do anything, which is one of the reasons the Fraser government abandoned indexation shortly after bringing it in. So, all that to kind of set the scene, the issue that we're dealing with right now today to bring it all in, Uh, and this isn't a political statement on any side, don't heaps care. It's more to say that this was planned by the coalition at the time, the Morrison government, the Labor government at the time supported it. And they went, and I'm just reading here, Albanese went to the 2020 election campaign, promising no changes to what had been legislated. So there's a bit of political um, stuff going on here. But people are saying it must be changed because of what happened in uh, the UK recently when the UK government announced you know, a sweeping program of tax cuts and incentives uh, when Liz, Tr- Liz Trust took office, which basically um, helped you know, push the pound to a fresh 37-year low against the US dollar um, and the shat started hitting the fan. Now, John, have you heard in the media and commentary like, we can't do this, look what happened in the UK? You heard that? Mm. So some of the things here, it's actually different and I believe it's different and I'm not an economist, I'm putting my hand up now. The reason why it's different in Australia is it's not an announcement out of nowhere. So a government hasn't come out yesterday in this current climate and said, hey, we're tweaking tax rates to stimulate the economy because the economy is very stimulated at the moment because inflation's going nuts, right? But let me read some of the things that happened in the UK as to why it's different and why sometimes when you're listening to media reports, when they say it can't happen because of the UK, the UK just didn't say we're tweaking income tax rates. Let me read some of these. They were cancelling a planned rise in the corporate tax rate to 25%, keeping it at 19%, which is the lowest rate in the G20. They were having a reversal of the recent 1.25% rise in the national insurance contribution. So probably like the Medicare levy here. So they were ditching that. They had a reduction in the basic rate of income tax from 20 pence to 19 pence. So that's an income tax one. They were scrapping the 45% tax paid on incomes over 150,000 pounds or about 160K US. And this was another one. They had significant cuts to stamp duty on home purchases. They had a claim back scheme for sales taxes paid by tourists. They were scrapping an increase on tax rates on various alcohols, scrapping of cap on bankers bonuses. And they had some investment zone around the UK where businesses will be offered tax cuts and blah, blah, blah. So, you can see there was a range of structural things that was that Liz Truss announced. And then in the days following, uh, the pound had a shat. Now, that's different to Australia because of the reasons I stated, right? So, and just bear with me, John. I know I'm um, getting to a bit of a conversation point. But the thing in Australia of what's happening right now, and, and again, this could happen tonight when the budget's released, Albanese and Jim Chalmers have basically given many signs that they wouldn't be um, scrapping the stage three tax cuts in Australia. They're in a bit of a pinch because it's political for them, number one, because they went to the election promising that they wouldn't scrap it which is, sure, people promise stuff. And I also get that the world changes, right? But number two, the biggest thing, and this is what I really want to, you know, I've set all this up for this point, John. The problem with these huge um, monetary and fiscal tweaks that happen is they take time to filter down. So, we know the tax stuff in 2024, when it comes into play, that's like, that's not next year, that's the year after. It could take another year after that happens to see the effect of those tax cuts, right? So that's number one. Big changes, they're big moving cogs, they're big ships with, you know, rudders that take time. So the Albanese government saying, hey, we're going to stop these stage three tax cuts, it's only going to be a political win. For some who wanted it done, but it will be a political loss because they broke a promise. And then finally, there actually won't be any change to the status quo. You know, it won't do anything on inflation for a couple of years, which leads me to a comment from Philip Lowe on the sixth of September in the minutes after the um, one of the rate increases. And I'll just read this: Inflation in Australia is the highest it's been since the early nineteen nineties and is expected to increase further over the months ahead. Global factors explain much of the increase in inflation, but domestic factors are also playing a role. There are widespread upward pressures on prices from a strong demand, a tight labor market, and capacity constraints in some sectors of the economy. So, we all know that things are wild out there, right? And this is the kicker, this little paragraph. Inflation is expected to peak later this year. So, this is in 2022 then declined back towards the 2 to 3% range, which is the RBA target. This expected moderation in inflation reflects the ongoing resolution of global supply-side problems, recent declines in some commodity prices, and the impact of rising interest rates. Medium term inflation expectations will remain anchored, and it is important that this remains the case. The bank's central forecast is for CPI inflation to be around seven and three quarter percent over 2022. So, you know, and they've just said that it'll peak later this year, a little above 4% in 2023 and the RBA are targeting and expect it to be 3% back to their normal range over 2024. So that crescendo moment, if the government ditches the stage three tax cuts, it doesn't really change anything and inflation and the modelling that the previous government set in 2019 in 2024 will be back as it was predicted at the time. So, all that to say, those comments there, I'm not an economist. They're not political. I don't give a crap who anyone votes for. um, But that's just the lay of the land as to why it's political and also structural, given that won't change anything for 3 years or, or or whatever it is and you can't use UK as an example because it's actually different
2: so so what you're saying is if i'm hearing correctly if you, if stage 3 tax cuts are abolished then life will be as normal anyway because inflation's back down to the predicted 2 to
1: 3% yeah and it will be what labor agreed on anyway in 2019 and in 2022, agree that they would keep at the time based on the world returning back to normal. And now this, everyone is in a discussion about whether we think the rich need to pay more and all that. I think it's actually more a, like my personal view, and this is my view, you can hang my hat on this. I'm in the top tax bracket. I don't actually care if they raise taxes or decrease them. I'll be fine. <laughs> like we elect people to government to manage our economy. And if I save $9,000 by the stage three tax cuts, awesome. But please make sure the government, you've got a plan to have Medicare sorted, have road sorted, get rid of waste, tax these multinational companies that are, you know, sending money offshore, all that stuff. So, if they didn't come into effect me personally, don't care. I've got money. I'll, I'll be right. But if they do, sure, I'll take it. Like, I just believe, yeah, and okay. I've said this for some time, Australia needs a huge tax overview and I think the GST needs to come into play in that.
2: Yeah, yeah the tax overview meaning we shouldn't be paying personal tax to begin with, it should be just company tax.
1: Is that what you think? <laughs> That's my personal view on things. All right, you need to move to uh, <laughs> Kuwait or somewhere <laughs> like that. Uh, so back to seriousness, mm. if
2: it is a predicted 2 to 3% by 2023, mm or into 2024, sorry, and the stage three tax cuts take effect, is that going to push inflation back up to an area that we don't want to be in?
1: Well, based on when the government, and I'm saying the government as in the House, both sides and independents and Greens and all that, when it went through the government, it was on the basis that obviously it wouldn't. Mm. Like based on the model. Because
2: like – because when you do some raw numbers and, and I know that not every Australian person is on 180000 but just knowing that they would be paying $0.37 cents in the dollar and now that's dropped back to $0.30. Cents, like that's 12 – that's a grand a month mm. that's now being saved by that particular income. It's a lot of money, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it, it, it is. And it's wild and – and every time you talk about this stuff, like there's going to be people listening who are enraged even with my analysis and take my analysis for what it's worth. Don't like, I'll probably regret saying this tomorrow. I'll, I'll listen to it in like six weeks and go, oh gosh, what a dickhead. Um, so I agree that I'm a dickhead. But like all all this to say, there, there needs to be a big discussion. And I think it was more me pointing out uh, the political issue what it actually was that we want to get rid of multiple tax brackets and have the three or whatever it is. And then that it's different to the UK. Um, I, I honestly, again, I'm, I'm happy to pay more tax if needed. Um, if a society thinks that they need to tax people more, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's, um, it's, it's just always so wild, but I've kind of, I'll say today, I'm not an economist, but I'd like to see the modeling of GST revenue be less state-based and maybe that the GST is increased to 20%. So it's a higher consumption tax, but then we increase the tax-free threshold. So people aren't left behind because of that and also increase uh, social security uh, benefits. So yeah, higher consumption tax, Not state based, federal, then dick around with tax brackets, but don't leave people behind. And I don't know.
2: We don't want to go down this tunnel of where government money or our money should be spent, but the roads are are in a massive disarray at the minute. Yeah, but that's generally a
1: state issue and local council issue, isn't it?
2: Well, I'm finding like I've been into three states in the last three weeks Mm. and everywhere we've gone have got the same issues. Mm.
1: Yeah. In
2: any case, let's move on.
1: Let's move on. Uh, again, our comments are worth what you paid for and I probably agree with you, whatever you think. Um, let's play this audio question um, right now. Hi, Glenn and John. I was hoping to get your thoughts. I'm thinking of setting up a trust with my siblings to use as an investment vehicle over a 20 to 30-year time frame to purchase investment properties. A bit of background, I'm in my late 20s and have a secure government job. Downside is my potential for income growth is pretty low. I have three siblings who are all earning substantial incomes or are fast-tracked to that stage. Then The only issue is, due to their hours working or being a business owner, they are not really interested in investing or have the time to look into it. My thought is of creating a trust where we each put the same amount of money into the trust every two years and use it to purchase an investment property. We do this every two years for 15 years or so and then sit on it for 10 to 15 years. Is this a sound idea? What are the legal and tax considerations for something like this? We'll keep it anonymous. Um, And he actually also sent an email with some further background information, which to be honest, mate, thanks for sending that. I'm not going to read that because it doesn't change my comments and I don't want to get into considering personal circumstances and personal advice and all that crap. Um, John, what are your thoughts
2: Look there's some bold plans there isn't there mm. um basically a property every 2 years for 15 years that's conservatively seven properties so we're going big with this thing um albeit we've got we've got siblings so it's not just on our own um i I'd, my first question would be for what reason like why do we want to set up a trust um with the siblings to begin with and where has that come from? Have we spoken to our accountant? Is that what they've recommended? Is that what we've read or heard? Uh, because the, the common type of property ownership in Australia is is personal. It's easier for lending. Um, it's It gives us our tax benefits um, depending on the level that we're at and and understanding that the siblings may also be on different tax levels. So it's going to benefit different um, different siblings, I would imagine. So, yes, trusts have the ability to distribute income, however we see fit. Um, we maybe have some asset protection in there, so we need to understand the occupations of those siblings. Um, look, I'm I'm not an accountant or a solicitor, but my general feeling would be, uh, I would just want to know why we're doing this.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm looking at it, and mate, thanks for. I won't say your name. I'll just say, mate, thanks for honestly sending that in because it's a good discussion point. And, you know, we are doing this half for entertainment, so we can make some wild assumptions uh, because on purpose, I don't want to look into the weeds of this. But one thing that stood out to me, John, I'm saying no deal on this for a couple of reasons. The first reason is the questioner said that his siblings weren't interested. So is he trying to push them into setting up a thing for the family and getting everyone involved and all that? So, you know, he knows that he's got a secure government job. They've got high incomes and I think some of them were over 200 when I had a bit of a scrub through. Okay, I didn't see any of that. And he's in his late 20s. So that's number one. Like are you trying to you know, when people write in and say, oh, how do I get my spouse or partner or my friend to be better with money? Well, it's bloody hard. How do you get three siblings plus possibly their spouses? So, how do you convince six people to get on the same page? Like, this is wild, right? And then secondly, um, kind of following on from that, if he gets a partner, that's eight people who have units and I would say units because I would propose if you were doing this, you'd do a unit trust. So it's evenly uh, distributed, I would imagine, get advice, etc. But you've got an investment company, fund, whatever you want to call it, an investment trust with eight people. Try and get eight people to decide on one thing. Good luck. do I know sure that there might be some that are along for the ride and passive and all that. So that's another thing. There's probably more. I wrote down this other one. So every two years. So what we're saying is we've got eight people, and we're all saying every two years we're putting money into this thing and buying them all property. I'm not setting a strategy like that that's bold, strategic, and all that, and expecting all parties to be able to cough up 30 grand. Oh guys, got three months till that money's due. Low, low, low. I, I just think it's it's awesome that you're thinking this way. But You look at the the divorce rate, right? I reckon it's like 50-50. So, we've got eight people. There's a chance, call me old-fashioned and wild and all that, that there is a chance that over the next 10 years, statistically, maybe there might be a a divorce in one of the four couples. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Me personally, not going through this with a 10-foot pole, I'll just really encourage you, that you can do your own strategies. You said you've got a good stable government job. Part of the strategy is to lend and we know banks and lenders like good stable government jobs. So I just think go alone, be agile yourself. Don't necessarily, and this is the whole thing with um, kind of how I do things. I, I just, it's such a great question. So, he's saying every two years, we put in money and buy a property. So, he's crunched some type of numbers, John, right? I'm not being that specific with my wealth building. I'm saying systematically, I live on less than I earn and I invest the rest and I move in that direction. So, I'm saving money always. I've got a strategy that I'm I'm an investor for the long term. I'm a saver for the long term. And then we're just walking down this strategy of life and investing because if if he gets a partner and they decide to get a kid and all that stuff, it might go out the window for three years. So I, I don't know. It's just mm. it's fascinating, um, but I'm just not going anywhere near it. Yeah, and, and I'm probably not either. But I want to
2: thrash it out to the point that uh, this person gets some benefit from it as well. Like if if let's say hypothetically speaking, there's there's three siblings and none of them get married. So we don't have to worry about the whole divorce thing. Um, two of them don't want interest in it. I'm I'm actually half okay with that because I, I know a lot of family portfolios where a few of them don't have um, any sort of interest per se, but they have a financial interest in it, um, i.e. farms, et cetera. Right, so the the key question here is, well, what, why do you want to do a joint venture? Because that's essentially what it is. So, why can't we go it alone as you as you mentioned? Do we want that safety in numbers? Do we want to be able to borrow more money because we can combine three of our incomes do we will some of us have more cash to put into the deal than others, which sounds as though that's not the case. It's going to be the same amount of money so that that's ruled out um so we we go and buy ourselves seven assets in that example. On our own, we may have been able to only buy two or or three, okay? So we've got exposure over seven different assets rather than three. So that's definitely a a, a positive. Uh, We've got diversification. But really understanding that to set something 15 years advance and see it through is extremely hard to do because life changes, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think that was my comments around just set a direction that you're heading. It's like we want to head north for the summer well, there's a variety of different roads. Let's choose the main one most efficient, but sometimes yeah. there's accidents, sometimes there's bushfires, sometimes the car breaks. You've got to stay in a town overnight till it gets fixed. Like yeah. we plan absolutely that we just be a bit nimble and agile on our year on year stuff.
2: Yeah, I, I like the thought and the, the ambition behind it. Yeah, just do some more digging and I'll come back to why. What's the number one reason as to why you want to do this uh, with siblings?
1: And if you are going down this road, this is what I would propose. Uh, I'll set up a type form questionnaire, uh, make it anonymous, send it to all siblings and their spouses. So if there's six, if there's three siblings and three spouses or, you know, three siblings and two spouses and we've got to send it to you know, five people or whatever that is, everyone fill out a type form in their own words. What do you hope to get out of this? What are your reservations? You know, how much financial capacity to have? What's your level of interest? All this stuff here. So, let's get some data because it's all good for me to say, oh, it's too hard, life happens and all that. So, prove me wrong, get some data, get everyone to... And then if everyone is 99% on board with this, get everyone in the same room as your accountant and solicitor. Then project manage that. Fill out all the form, get it done properly. Sorry if you can hear birds in the background, everyone. I've just got my window open today. Um, (laughs) Just get everyone in the same room if all the anonymous data (laughs) says that everyone's frothing on this idea and then if you are going to do that part of the plan let's all do one property come up for air everyone want to go again sweet let's go again we're not locking everyone into a sentence for 15 years so then has there needs to be clear exit mechanisms there needs to be hey we'll set up a joint trust bank account there's always going to be you know 40 grand of liquid cash in there like prove me wrong it could you might set up a p- private investment trust i don't know but If you're going to do it, make sure everyone is on the same page because what usually happens with this stuff, someone gets dragged into it and they've never wanted to do it. They're just doing it because, oh, they're making me, I'm not interested. Then the wheels fall off a relationship. It comes out, I never wanted to do that. You drag me in, blah, 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 and it's used as um, fuel to bait a fire and all that crap.
2: Yeah. If I was doing something like this, I would actually set up a unit trust every time I buy a property. So, uh, we're, we're not having one big mm. dirty mother of a unit trust. We're, we're setting up individuals for each property that we purchase and who wants to buy in and we have that uh, a share in it. Yeah. So, you can opt out. Yeah. Along and the journey. Th- but
1: then you got to go, okay, so the prop- that property now has maybe $1,200 a year of extra accounting costs that we all share. Yep. Awesome. Then it goes okay. Well, if one of the siblings is self-employed, they've got their get. They've got to get their own planning sorted. Do they need a family trust that owns units in the unit trust? And then you add yeah. complexities with lending. Um, I, I actually don't know this, John, because I'm just not in this world anymore. Mm-hmm. You know how like self managed super funds, they get charged like three percent more for interest rates, or it's a higher rate. Would banks yep. and lenders put like a unit trust, even if it's a private enterprise like this, under their commercial rates? Yeah, no, it's it's
2: pretty it's residential rates. Okay, yeah. cool.
3: Yeah, generally oh, that, speaking, right.
2: so that there's no that, there's no downside there, but that generally can be a lot more paperwork. Mm. So be prepared for that. But
1: uh, yeah, thrash it out to the point where it's a yes or a no. Prove us wrong and replay this to me in 10 years and say you're killing it and you're glad you didn't listen to us. We'll have a break (laughs) and
0: we'll come back with some more controversial topics.
1: All right. I want to keep rolling. We, we might leave our community segment of the week till next week, John. Uh, sorry, everyone. Brother, but I want to talk about a controversial thing here. Liz Bridgie put in the Facebook group. Man, if you ever want some spice, put a comment in a public forum about housing, tax, ethical... <laughs> and probably religion. Um, Put all that crap in a public forum if you want some spice. I'm hoping for a discussion around the argument that increasing interest rates are justification for the large rent increases people are experiencing at the moment. Where we are, a lot of people are reporting their rent being increased by $100 to $150 per week, e.g. from $600 to $750 a week, which is a huge jump to find that Extra per week on top of the increased costs of fuel, groceries, and all that crap. The justification from a number of landlords on social media forums is that their interest payments have gone up and so have their body corporate fees, etc. So they need to increase the rent to cover costs. But is this fair and a reasonable argument? Please discuss. And she's in uh, Gold Coast if that's Gold relevant. Coast. Now, mm. I didn't give you any kind of heads up on this question other than uh when i emailed it to you before we press record three minutes before <laughs> i don't want to bait you but we may depart um with our views on this so you've stood up so does that mean we're having a fight i'll stand up as well <laughs> all right Yeah.
2: just before i answer that every time that i've stood up when we're in the studio together you've
1: done the same but now we're in different studios and you're still standing up. So I, I just – I'm seven. easily influenced. Um, yeah. You're a strong leader in my life who I respect <laughs> <Yeah>. dearly.
2: <laughs> you're mirroring the person that's uh, in the, the other room. Any case, uh, great question, Liz, or, or great discussion point, should I say. And and Emily and I sort of uh, thrashed out something similar on this – on our on My Millennial Property. You like the word thrash of, out
1: and that saying, don't you? Thr- you always say <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, with – we thrashed it out.
2: Yeah. It's what we do. It's
1: not in my vocab. Anyway, keep going. Well, farmers. Farmers thrash oh, stuff oh, out, yes. you know. Yeah,
2: Like you use Lurl. Lurl. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's my take on this. Uh, I don't get on social media forums to, to look at who's saying what. But I don't think there's necessarily a justification because the rent that – is being charged, is what the rent is on a, on a retail level. Um, I think property managers will say, well, okay, this is what is going rent for this type of dwelling in this location. Uh, we we think you can charge $750 a week. Now, if that's come up $150, and I know it has on the Gold Coast because I've physically got clients there that have similar sort of numbers. And my thoughts are, well, that's, that's going right. It's not being increased because of interest rates or anything else. It, the the issue is the severe lack of dwellings available because we're not building enough houses around the country. The, it's not the fact that costs are rising for investment uh, property owners. It's it's quite the opposite. Um, yes, they are rising, but you can't just say, I'm going to put my rent up $150 because the interest rates on my loan have increased. Like the, the market's not going to pay that unless that's what the market rate currently is today. So, um, that's, that's my sort of high levels, um, thoughts on it, but generally speaking, it's, it's what the market's worth. Yeah. So this question
1: for me was of particular interest and it just caused me to have so much rage inside because when I was renting at Tumbi uh, on the central coast, and I, I will say like, the real estate mob that we were dealing with, and it might even be change the name and Nathan Robber, who edits this podcast, he's had problems with them. Like just the most incompetent people on the planet. Like if you can't run a business, don't. Anyway, like they, at the time, interest rates were decreasing, right? Their letter template, and this goes to show you the amount of incompetence that this organization had. Their rent increase template said, due to the rising costs of interest, we're increasing your rent. I wrote back, I was like, hey, the last three (laughs) rate decisions have been a decrease, like get stuffed. Paid it anyway. But like, so for me, I was like, how the hell is it my problem as a tenant that the owner of this property is using leverage to buy the asset? And their funding costs are my problem. How How is that my problem on this planet? But you're right. Yeah. I, I get that there is a market out there and all that. But what I wanted to kind of say is um, this person is in New South Wales and I just wanted to touch on rent increases uh, for general tenancies. And I'm reading from the uh, Residential Tenancy Authority in Queensland, their website, Um Rent cannot be increased during a fixed term unless it's stated in the tenancy agreement and all of the following occurs. The agreement states the rent will be increased, which will be standard. The agreement states the new amount and then in brackets, or how it will be worked out. So that's kind of a bit weird. The property manager slash owner gives the tenants at least two months notice in writing, and it has been at least six months since the tenancy started or the last increase. And then we go down excessive rent increases. A tenant can dispute the increase if they feel it's excessive by discussing the issue with the property manager or owner. If the tenant feels the increase is excessive, they can apply for a dispute resolution once the new agreement is signed. They must also apply to the Queensland Civil and Administrative Tribunal QCAT for a decision. And then QCAT may take the following into consideration when determining excessive rent increases. Uh, They will go range of market rents, usually charged for similar premises, difference between the proposed and current rent, state of repair of the property. That's a big one. If you're living in absolute crap and they're pulling this crap on you, tell them to shove it up their ass. Term of the tenancy, period since the last rent increase anything else uh, QCAT considers. Now, and I'll just finish um, in the New South Wales one, and you guys can research your other states, we're not Google. I'm um, just giving some examples here. When rent can be increased uh, for New South Wales, uh, for agreements with a fixed term of less than two years, so most people do a 12 month, the landlord or agent can increase the rent during the fixed term if the agreement sets out the increased amount or how the increase will be calculated. The term in the agreement must spell out the amount of the increase or the exact method of calculating the increase, e.g., a dollar amount or percentage. It cannot be unclear. For example, statements in line with the market or by the rate of inflation. So, all that says to me as a tenant, and I'm a tenant, I rent, I rent vest. I'm sophisticated, I'm like John, I'm a sophisticated investor. All that says to me, as a tenant, you've really got to know your rights. And if you smell like you're getting a bad deal or you're getting walked over, you just need to push back politely we're not We're not being rude, we're not you know doing threats or anything. but I would just say. There is a big, well, they say there's a big supply and demand issue and that's causing uh, the price of rent to increase and all that stuff. But just make sure you're doing your own research. So, if you get a notice to say, hey, Glenn, your rent's going up $200 a week. Well, I'm jumping on domain and real estate and just doing some research myself uh, because you know, if that's kind of like, oh, well, yeah, it must be right. Well, that might be what we call life and life sometimes sucks. But if it's looking like it's, well, I'm already paying kind of what the market says, maybe then you push back, John. Yeah. And 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 take yourself back to your disgruntled
2: Tumby days where you got that letter in the mail that says, we're increasing your rent because of cost, right? The cost of basically... The landlord and whatever else. like That's just bad business. So, that 101, if any property manager is sending that out as a reason to increase the rent, then they've got it all wrong and that's what's creating a lot of bad press around this. But you're a smart enough guy, you would have done your research and said, okay, the cost of moving out, $1,000, $2,000, whatever it is at the time, and going to rent something that's $20 a week cheaper for the same equivalent fit out and dwelling, or I might as well stay where I am because one's going to outweigh the other. And that's what's happening today. The 600 to 750 that Liz is talking about, the 750 is actually what market rate is at the moment. They're, they're going on to realestate.com and finding two properties for rent in... In three suburbs, and they're all seven fifty or seven sixty. It's like okay, I just have to suck it up, or I have to move into something cheaper mm. or further out of town or whatever it is. So I don't think it's a it's a landlord thing. It's it's actually this the big beast that's on our hands that's not going away anytime soon is this uh, massive undersupply of housing.
1: Yeah. So I, I just think for the people who own property out there and you've got tenants, please. Just treat people with the dignity and respect that they deserve. I mean, I've shared on this podcast uh, the current property that one of the properties that I own. um, The the land manager or whatever they are, the property manager, emailed me and they were like, "Oh, hey, Glenn, we probably recommend you increase the rent by fifty to seventy dollars in line with um, other things in the area." So they did their research, like they looked after me as a client of them, and you know they did the research. And I said, look, I'll chat with the tenants myself because I know the guy, Dirty Mike and Joe Lee. Uh, What up? (laughs) I punked him last night. I'll tell you in the after party. Um, (laughs) Just I'll write that down because it's hilarious. Um, I said, look, I'll chat to them. I'm not increasing. I don't care who they are, whether they're a friend or someone. I'm not turning around and saying, hey, your rent's going up $70. Like not doing it. So I said, hey, they've done a review. It's probably been 18 months it's going up 20 bucks. Are you cool with that? They're like, yeah, sweet. And he's like, well, we're moving out in March anyway, because we're building that house. So, when they move out, then I will see what the market's doing and put it on for market rates. Like one of the other properties we put up for, I think, 7.30 a week or something like that. And we got an offer for 700. I'm like, yeah, take it, whatever. Um, Everything's a negotiation. And if you're a Tenant and like if you go to a place right and there's thirty people out the front, it's gonna be a hard gig negotiating. I think I shared uh before when I was looking to move to Newcastle, I went to a place and I'm like, I'll pay you six months up front. Would that help? It didn't matter, they didn't want me. Um someone else may have <laughs> want paid more. Bad resume. Um, but the house I'm living in now was empty for some time. It was in a uh, it's in Meriwether Heights, so probably less mum and dad suburbia, like I don't know what you would say. It's a premium suburb. Um, this was empty for some time. And I think it was on for 9.30 a week or something. And I was like, oh, yeah, would you go 8.80 or something like that? And they said, no. So I'm paying 900 a week. Um, so it's a negotiation, but I knew I could negotiate because it had been empty for some time. And it was yeah. a less- So that's
2: not happening
1: yeah, in so other it, areas, is it? No, and that's why I think I just wanted to say as a property owner myself, I always want to treat people who- Uh, Rent my properties with the humanity and the dignity that you would want to treat any other person, and as a and have a conversation. And you know, and as a tenant, just know your rights, and it's okay to push back with politeness. It's okay to say, "Well, okay, you want to increase the rent one hundred dollars a week? Can we scale that up in three months? We'll do it this, and can we scale it? I am happy to stay here long term. Like, have a conversation." Okay, so finishing off on this,
2: good discussion, Liz. Well done. You've you've poked the bear here. Um, yeah, and
1: there's 58% of people who are listening uh, disagree with everything we're saying, but whatever.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we need more investors to curb this supply-demand mismatch, right? So if you're a first-time investor and you're about to get your new house rented, and the property manager comes back and says right we've got two applicants one's wants to pay you 460 yep and and the other applicant says i want to pay 490 mhm L- like for liking candidates they all stack up well yep. their reference checks and everything else so who which one are you going to take well
1: you would take the 490 like if it was exactly the same yep. candidate yes like if it was two single glens that lived by himself yeah, mm. well, I t- and that's what's happening. Yeah, one of the other properties, I don't know if I told you, they offered more to secure it because I'm moving interstate.
2: Yeah. So yeah, I, I get your point. It's I was like, like yeah, nice yeah, I'll guy. take it.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, I, I get your point. You're a nice guy, and you want to keep the rent down to keep the tenant happy because loyal and everything else. But
1: yeah, and that's you know, I think we, you know, when we hit. Bedrock. Maybe we fundamentally agree on some stuff, but I probably disagree with your comment that said we need more investors, where I think structurally we need state governments to release more product. Uh, We need federal governments to look at national infrastructure, uh, particularly if they want uh, to have more people migrating to Australia. Uh, These are some big issues. And, you Mm. know, I it'd be interesting like the whole Republican thing if we go to a term of government where it's like a four or five year term, not a freaking 10 minute term like we've got at the moment. Yeah. Like how does a government three years, okay, they do their first year and a bit, get yeah. some stuff done that they did the election and we're on kind of a soft promotional period for the following 18 months. Like this is just ridiculous.
2: Yeah. I'm so, so jaded you-
1: with like the um, political and infrastructure system, everything. Like no one wants to do bold nation building stuff. No. And cookie cutter.
2: Yeah, I don't know. So how do you, how do you create more housing? You either need investors to buy houses to rent out to people or you have governments build it and call it government housing.
1: No, I think you you open land which will hopefully take the pressure off the supply issue and then you allow who- people to Buy their own house to live in.
2: Well, that's what people are trying to do now, but they've got affordability issues, so they have to rent in the meantime. Yeah, that's but, but that's they what can't I'm saying. Find but to if rent. there was
1: more houses, I'm happy for my whole property portfolio to cool off twenty percent. Like I don't care if if the structure of Australia is better for the society when people can buy their own house. Australia yeah. as a whole, the whole property. Can you tell them over property? Um, the whole. <laughs> The whole property system, like, it's just the amount of debt that's needed in everyone's life to to get involved. Like, I don't know. Thanks for listening this far. You, you, you yeah. Are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bee up my bonnet with property. I don't know. Maybe. I'm just like, something's not right. No, but, but
2: oh, <laughs> we're agreeing to disagree, but we're...
1: There's no, like, there's
2: no, you've got to actually create more housing, but creating housing for people to live in doesn't change the rent crisis. Well, if there's less
1: people renting,
2: it does, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) But they can't afford to get in anyway. Yeah.
1: I don't know, John. Mm. Don't know. Anyway, good, good chat, Mm. Liz. You've, um, you've done well there. All right. Gosh. All right. Well, what's the time? It's almost an hour. Let's talk about, um, no, no, nah, nah, stuff that one. Um, I will quickly answer it. This guy, a gal, Fat Nat Higgins said, how long should you hold an investment property for? Should you keep it or sell it? Uh, do whatever you want, don't care. Um, Time Smith. Uh, but also really, who cares? Keep it. Never never sell property, how about that? Um, you should not have to sell property. You should want to sell. Yeah.
2: Right. So you want to be able to, if you're going to sell, it should be an upgrade uh, to a to a better product, which you can't guarantee a lot of the time. Or it could be a cash grab to go and buy your own or occupy a dream home, which I like. Uh, or it could be to sell down to retire. And I like that as well. So a lot of cases you should be talking yourself out of selling.
1: In my book, Sort Your Money Out and Get Invested, thanks for reading it, everyone. And if you're new to the show, apologies that I'm jaded. Um, I say in terms of investment assets, the best time to buy is when you have the money. The best time to sell is when you need the money. Probably a little asterisk there with (laughs) some caveats. Massive asterisk. Okay, Time Smith. We'll end with this one. Oh, that time. How much is enough? Like what's the end goal? If I amass an impressive investment portfolio, at what point could I start to draw down on and, and enjoy it? I've been maxing out my super for my whole career. And that will look after me reasonably for like well into retirement. So, I guess my question is, what is the point of saving all this investment and just having a comfortable retirement? I don't know, bro. What is the point? (laughs) Yeah.
2: Very good time. I think it's definitely- It really is about time, this question. (laughs) (laughs) It's a balance of time and money. And- Glenn and I have got none of either, but no, I've got plenty of both at the moment. What was saying here is, um, you've got to, you, you can't just work your bum off for the next thirty years and and enjoy your life when you're sixty five, when you're decrepit and and can't walk properly and and have no energy and all of that. There's got to be a balance of enjoying now versus later. So it's it's future self versus now, right? <laughs> it's a it's a combination and. What proportion you put that in is totally up to you. If you want to go 90% to retirement in, at 60, then great, but own that. Um, so if, you th- if you're questioning yourself saying, what's what's it all worth if I'm just going to be too old to enjoy it, then we need to change the, change the bar.
1: Yeah, I would encourage you and everyone listening, if you haven't already, go back a couple of weeks ago, an episode was released with Ramit Sethi, who uh, he's the author in America, I'll Teach You To Be Rich. And it's about defining what your rich life is. And I reckon once you really know what you want out of life, then and that's like your values and what's rich to you is that I want rich relationships. Um, I want rich money. I want rich health. I want rich spiritual life, whatever that is. Uh, because how much is enough? Well, you can do the same metric. Like how much is enough family time? How much is enough exercise time? How much is enough? Like, Enough is enough for the for you, and it's going to be different for someone else. So I would really say it's probably more of an exercise about working out what you and if you've got a partner want out of your lives, and then just living. I'm just so big on um, give some, save some, spend some, and do it in that order. Like you've, it's life's about blend, it's about balance. It's you know, it's it's messy sometimes, it's fun sometimes. Just live. Um, If you feel like you're just investing money for the sake of it, slow down and start spending some of it and living more. Yeah, that's right. So it might be just
2: uh, you might have a cash grab and and pull some money out of your investments just to enjoy the next five years, whether it be Mm. uh, partner goes on maternity, so that's when you – cash grab or, or whatever it is that floats your boat for the next five years but yeah you don't want to go and mm. be uh be worn out by the time you get all this money
1: yeah and as you know well you don't because this is the first time I've talked to you since I've got back from America so hi um how was it yeah it was good we'll talk about it in the after party but like I'm having you know crisis moments most of the time and I'm like I'm looking at like short term airbnb rentals in london and like new york or i was just like oh do i i really struggle to settle back after i've been on a big trip um Mm. i get like depressed for a week struggle to get back into a vibe this week recording i was supposed to be in melbourne but i cancelled it because my wheels fell off and i was just like i can't do anything i'm over it um so for me it's just peeling back what do i want to do i'm having an existential crisis. I'm like old, I've like all the things and all this stuff. It's not even about, um, it's not even a money thing. So it's about what is enough. And I'm kind of working for me like, what is enough? And for me, enough for me is I live on my own schedule and I live to my own clock and calendar. And that's what I mean. If you want to tax me more sweet, if you want to tax me less sweet, it's not really affecting me. Um, if you got lots of money and they tax the rich, you'll be fine. You'll still, you know, be all right. It's okay. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking you've got to write some stuff down. What is enough for you? Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's end it there and I'll tell you some funny stuff about America and stuff.
2: Right, let's do that.
1: And I'll in the after party, guys. I'll I'm going to do a WWJD? What would John do? Question. So thanks for listening to My Millennial Money. We know you've got a choice, and thanks for choosing us on this very day. And tomorrow there'll be an episode tomorrow night. Um, drop tomorrow afternoon with John and Vince going over the budget and what it means to you and all the stuff. And they yep. may ditch the stage three tax cuts. They may not. Man, the old fox. So see ya. All right, after party. Um, yeah, okay, I just wrote this. So, Dirty Mike. I got, t- sorry, I got 10 minutes. Yeah, okay. Uh, we, so friends of ours, oh, we've got a friend, he lives in Sydney, got friends on the coast, I'm in Newcastle, um, and a few of us decided to meet at the Mooney Mooney Club near Hawkesbury River. Yes. Have you been there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's I like- have, I don't mind it. it's all right. So anyway, we met there last night. (laughs) It's not your style. Oh, it's just, I don't know. I just wouldn't ever go there. Oh, on the Hawkesbury, mate? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's on the north side. Yes. No, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like Like, it. Like, nice little spot. Hmm. Anyway, so there was nine of us and we all had dinner. Yeah. And, you know, it was table service and all that. And and they were like, you know, because I don't drink. So they were all buying drinks at the bar and just settling the tab there and – uh, yeah. We went up to pay and we all just like split the bill because there's nine of us and it's like whatever. Anyway, so Mike went up first and he's like, oh, I had this and he paid. And then uh, after Dirty Mike paid, I said, I'm going to spite you, Dirty Mike. So I said, I'll just cover the rest. <laughs> so I paid for everyone else's. What <laughs> <laughs> did Dirty Mike do. Oh, this is hilarious. Oh man, he's still, he's, he's, you know how he trashed my four wheel drive when he was, when I was in America in February and we've just all had it fixed, but it's still got a vibration. And oh, I we think, well, I took it to the mechanic and hmm. he put new universal joints in the drive shaft, but we, th- there's still a vibration there. Like he's hit the tail shaft or the drive shaft and we think that's out of balance now. Right. So, he, so, how did he trash you trash it? went four-wheel driving. driving. Yeah. So, if you borrow <laughs> a friend's car, don't go four-wheel driving. Yeah. They completely v- eat, or... trashed both sides. Every panel got resprayed. I paid to just yeah. get the bonnet done and the tail, but everything else got done.
2: Yeah, you need you need to send me the invoice for the uh, scrape on you oh. <laughs> on your well wheel, on your wheel. Yeah. So
1: just on that, I was I was going to say. It was a, a what would John do, do dilemma if you got a friend to do a favour for you. <laughs> and so, I said to my friend, hey, I'm in America. Can you pick up my car for me from the mechanic and just leave it at your house? And you damaged that car doing the favour. Would you expect... To pay for it, or would you just cop it because, well, I got him to do a favor. a favor? Yeah.
2: What would Glenn do?
1: <laughs> what you mean, what Glenn, what <laughs> is Glenn going to do after John Pigeon did him a favor and scratched my rim? <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe it. You, would, you wouldn't read about it in a
2: million years. But the it's funny just, thing was, so, you know how. What? C- c- can I say something yeah. quickly? Because I'm used to my four wheel drive and like, uh, you don't, go up on the curb, but you can round it and the tire protects the rim because the tires are thicker. But in your V8 race car, like it's
1: rim followed by wheel. Yeah. So the weird thing was just before I went to <laughs> America, I got a guy out here and he re- like he repaired all the rims on my car and re-sprayed them all. So they're like, all like brand new. And then like two and weeks I, and later, I knew that. Pidge just scrapes the front left one. Just a little bit. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'll – I might get him back out here to fix it. But no, I, I would not expect my friend to repair that because you were doing me a favor and I thank you for
2: it. No, no. no, And I did say I, I will uh, yeah. just uh, pay for that because uh, yeah I, I looked out and thought, you know, it you know crossed my mind just for like a, a very split second – I don't reckon Glenn will find out. Oh, he will.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, but like it was very, uh, it was very I obvious. Know, that I that
1: won't expect successful. you to pay for it. I'll just net off your monthly host fee this month. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed. Um, so I've got a question for you. Yeah, it's very serious. Do you ever sleepwalk? No, never. Really? Never. No Your phone vibration It is the worst On the planet
2: Ames Hey are you finished at all? No we're still going I, I don't sleepwalk do I? Pardon? I don't sleepwalk do I? Not that I've noticed I'm always asleep No on your mic Yeah Yeah that's Well, well I, I was always asleep too So I don't think I do No Not that I know Yeah I do okay. know what You can not with your hand Yeah <laughs> All right, I'll. Uh, I'm leaving in five. Love, ya. love you.
1: What's the weird thing with your hand that you do when you sleep? Oh, I think it. Uh, I think it goes up in the air like a. Uh, All right. Yeah. Just. All right. Around. So, when we we're in the states, um, I went to because we're in Ohio, and I've always wanted to yeah. go to the Detroit International Motor Show. Yeah. And, so I went. There was four of us that went up. Myself, Nick Bradley, who's now the host of the My Millennial Investor podcast. Did you see that?
2: Uh, yes, I did. Say oh, that. you should have I a listen. He's it, so, so good.
1: Yep, so is he? Yeah. Oh, anyway, listen to My Millennial Investor, everyone. So he went up. Nick Gleason, who moved up, there went up, and our friend James um, went up. So the four of us went up. Got a really nice hotel. It was called the Shinola in Michigan, uh, Detroit, Michigan. So really premium hotel, really nice. And we drove up, it was only like three hour drive and went to the motor show, that was all cool. I got a photo, you can see on my Instagram, everyone, my personal Instagram. Um, if you don't know what it is, just it's in the thing of the My Millennial Money top of it. I don't know what it is either. Um, I got a photo next to the Dumb and Dumber doggy van. Oh, yes, I did see oh, that, that was classic. I, that was out the front of it as well. And I'm like, yeah. I can leave now, I don't need to go in. I've got a photo next yeah. to the van. Yeah, so anyway. Great. We that night, like we went to dinner and went to bed and all that. Like we had there was four rooms so that we all had a room each and all that and I um I actually slept walked in a hotel. Did you? I've it was And
2: what did you wake up in the cupboard or something?
1: <laughs> so all <laughs> I remember I remember kind of this is what I remember. I remember walking down the main hotel corridor on level 7 or whatever I was on, looking at the mirror and thinking, "Oh, I usually don't not wear a shirt." <laughs> 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 I had my I put my shorts on and I'm like, "Oh, that's weird I'm not wearing a shirt." Anyway, <laughs> in my mind, I was meeting someone at reception. And in my mind, I could see someone standing at reception, this image. Yeah. So I'm like, I've just got to go around the corner and look down the corridor and they're there at the end of the corridor at reception, right? So go to the lift area to walk around the corner to look down the reception to see the person I was meeting, walked around and there was just a wall there. And I'm like, hang on a minute. I think I'm asleep. <laughs> and... <laughs> Because <laughs> it was a weird, they kind of renovated this, so the the floors were kind of like it's hard to explain, but it's easy to get like lost, and I couldn't yeah. find my room for a bit, and I <laughs> and I was still kind so semi conscious, sort of yeah, still but same. I was very asleep, <laughs> like yeah, I all and then you know woke up in the morning, like I could see the shorts next to my bed where they weren't, but lucky I took my key. <laughs> I'm just like.
2: How'd you get back in your room? Well,
1: yeah, I took my key. Like, it was just so. I was so embarrassed. Unreal. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. Very good. All right. right. Nice knowing you. Um, Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Appreciate it. See ya. Thank you. Bye. See ya.
3: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen